Well, good morning. Uh, it's kind of unusual not seeing a black bear over here and a whitetail over here and an elk out in the lobby. Uh, There's not much laughter, so apparently not many of you were here Friday night. I came up, uh, Friday night, came up and saw this big elk, full mount elk out in the lobby. And I'm like, man, now there's something you don't always see, uh, an elk in a church lobby. If uh, we put some whitetail in the lobby, church lobby, maybe I'd be able to get a buck again. I don't know if that would be possible or not. If you have a Bible long, turn to Luke chapter 18 this morning. If you don't have one, you can look at the screen. Uh, in a minute when we read, like if you would join me, um, approach the king this morning before we do that. Father, we worship uh, you. You are robed in majesty. Um, you are armed with strength. And because of that, the world stands firm and cannot be shaken. We have all kinds of anxieties about what's going to happen in the future, politically, socially, economically, um, environmentally, and yet the good news uh, for all of that is that there is a, a, a God in control who cannot be undermined. His planet cannot be destroyed. You have the universe that um, a lot of bad things can happen to it, but ultimately you stand in control of it all, and you are more powerful than all of our missteps, miscues, and rebellion. We're grateful for that. Uh, we come to you this morning uh, asking for your help because there's nowhere else to go for help. Uh, you're the one who sees, knows all, and um, uh, understands the weaknesses of our frame. You say in the scriptures that we are um, but like, we're like a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. And every time we attend a funeral, we're reminded all over again of that. Just, we're just here for a short season, and then we're gone. And the, what really matters is not just what we can indulge in here in this life, but, but who, can we, who, who we can live for in this life. Whose glory can we seek uh, and make the decision, will it be our own or, or will it be um, yours? And we do desire and seek your glory this morning. I, um, as I speak, I pray that the Holy Spirit would ultimately be the one that speaks I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, not from me, but from you. And uh, Father, I pray that there would be nothing in us that is not um, open to you changing, um, adjusting, um, flipping upside down, that our, our lives would be totally open to you this morning for you to do anything that you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So if you're sitting and talking with someone who's not a Christian, and they're asking you for um, just a little bit of a description of what, faith, what your faith is like. So if they ask you for an adjective <clears throat> or adjectives to describe your faith, how would you describe your faith? Would you say it's strong? Would you say it's uncompromising? Would you say it's shaky? Uh, would you say it's a little bit rocky? Would you say it's bold? How would you describe your faith? And would any of you think to describe your faith as childlike? Now, 
I don't know about you, but when I think about small children, I think about things like messy diapers and throwing up and colds in the middle of the night and them saying no defiantly to you. But there's other times when, <clears throat> these are usually when I have other people's kids, they're just so sweet and precious. And you kind of forget that they're, they have a mind of their own and so forth, but they do. And they look at the world so radically different from the way that we look at the world. Here's a fun video, take a look. Yeah, I made my cake. Harper, the cake is for your brother. Your brother's turning eight tomorrow. Now I'm eight. No, you're two. I'm eight. No, Harper, you're two. Your birthday's in January. No, it's my party. No, your birthday's in January. No, it's my party. But it's June, and tomorrow's your brother's birthday. It's my birthday on Friday. No, no, it's Landon's birthday. We have to make a pound cake for him. It's my pound cake. <laughs> I love it. A kid like that, I'd do kids all over again. That'd be fun. <laughs> they just look at life differently than we do, though, don't they? Um, now, I, I still know how to use these things. Although, when I was a daddy, uh, we didn't have these except for when we went on vacation. We still used the old-fashioned cloth diapers. How many of you know anything about cloth diapers? Uh, oh, yeah, and, and they're coming back, I hear. Some, are any young moms here using them? Uh, they're not coming back that well, I guess. <laughs> but from our vantage point as parents, these are, these are awesome because otherwise there's a lot of problems. Uh, there's messes here, there, and everywhere in little puddles. For, for, a, for a child, though, especially, you know, once they hit six-month mark or so, something like that, they're not that fond of these. And they get, you, especially once they're walking, you get them on the ground, you're trying to change them, and they're squirming all around. And if they can pull it off, they'll get up and take off running around the house. And you're chasing after them because you know if you don't get this on fast, some problems could occur. So, but to them, it's, a, it's an impediment to you. It's a, it's, it's a problem solver. So they see it as a problem, you see it as a, as a solution. Uh, we look at things like this differently than a child does, right? Moms, you look at this like, um, I'm up all night with a sugar high, right? Um, they've got cavities and like I was talking about the other week, sticky in the hair, for children have hair, and uh, sticky all over the face. Uh, but the kids are like, that is so awesome, it is so pretty, and it's so sweet, and I could just gorge myself on sugar. By the way, if a child comes up to me after the service and tells me what day God created sparrows, I give them that. Now moms, don't keep your children from finding that out. But we look at things totally different than a child does. And there's good biological, mental reasons for that. Patrick Sauer was writing in a, an online um, digital media place called The Fatherly. He says, adults have mental models made based on experience and the memory of how things should work. Let me read that again. Adults have mental models based on experience and the memory of how things should work. So that's how our memory and, and the things that we've seen and experienced in the past that helps us know, know how to organize and how to uh, face situations. So for example, 
If you go to, if you're a driver and you go to an intersection where there's a four-way stop, everybody knows what to do, right? You, the first person that got there goes first and then the next person and so on. If a child would, God forbid, get behind the wheel of a car and get to a, a four-stop intersection, they wouldn't have a clue what to do. They have no experience. And probably even if they had been there one time, the, they wouldn't have the memory capacity, wouldn't remember what they were supposed to do. And this guy continues, he says, everything for toddlers is new and exciting. They don't have a wealth of experience on how to judge things. In fact, kids younger than seven are basically hardwired not to store many memories. Kids under seven basically, so this is the reason, I I can't remember further back than when I was five. Now I have a son uh, Travis can somehow remember back to three, and he's even made the argument already. He remembers stuff back to when he was two, and it's possible because he he uh, kind of brings some things up that uh, Betty and I don't remember. But that's that's not typical. Most of us can't remember back real far, and and of course the first couple years for sure we can't remember why we are hardwired to not store many memories. Now, keep that in the back of your mind as we read this interesting conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Luke, 7, uh, Luke 18, beginning of verse 15. <clears throat> One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. And then Jesus called the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Don't miss the contrast there. If we don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, we can't enter it. Now, Jesus wanted to bless these children here. Uh, Parents were bringing children to him. Um, he's, a, he's like a public figure at this point. He's well, becoming very well known and people want to get near to Jesus and the disciples' reaction to all these children around, they're, the, they're the kind of the gatekeepers. They're like the bouncers. You keep, keep the problem people away from our celebrity. And so they're trying to send the parents away and, and don't want them to be near. And uh, it's, in some ways, I guess, a little like political season. Uh, You know what happens if somebody is running for president and all the parents are trying to bring their children uh, to meet the president and you see somebody like this here with George Bush. Um, He obviously wasn't real happy meeting the president to be and yet this is the kind of thing that happens on the campaign trail. These are uh, from the parent's standpoint I can just get near a celebrity from the a camp, uh, from the candidate standpoint, if I hold their baby, I've got two more voters probably. And so here's President Obama. Uh, I, I don't know, if I, if I would see pictures like this of other people's kids, I'm like, I don't want my kid near these guys because they're gonna just make them cry. Or here's President Trump. I don't understand why, it's interesting, you can go Google the story on how uh, politicians, or why they started kissing babies and holding babies. It's a real fascinating story. Uh, Geraldine Ferraro, when she was running for president, wouldn't touch them because she said um, the germ problem, she didn't want to transfer germs. 
supposedly from her to the baby, but I'm not so sure about that. So the disciples, these are, these are the guys to make sure that children don't annoy the, their, their uh, leader. And Jesus has an entirely different attitude about it. He says, they're welcome. Um, there were infants included in this crowd because the, one, the first word that's used in verse uh, 15 about children speaks about infants. And then when Jesus describes them, he uses a different word, uh, speaking about more like toddlers. So these might have been children up to six, seven years old, something like that. And Jesus says, don't, don't keep them from coming to me. The parents had come asking Jesus for his blessing, and he was happy to do it. And Mark chapter 15, uh, 15 the same story is told, and Jesus does pray for them and ask God to bless them. And, and I thought about how important that is for us as parents to bless our children. We pray for them. Last night we have some grandchildren in our house uh, this weekend. Last night we prayed for them as we put them to bed. And this morning what I'd like uh, uh, for us to do, because most of our kid, kids workers are out ministering to kids, uh, we're going to get them the second service, but I'd like all the parents that are still parenting, let's say for up to 16 years of age, we'd like you to stand and pray for you and bless you this morning. Just right where you're at, stand up if you are still in the midst of that. And then what we'd like to do is have those who are around you, those who are behind you or next to you, if you wouldn't mind standing up next to them, just put your hand, reach out, put your hand on their shoulder, and we're going to pray a blessing on them on behalf of their children. Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets somebody. Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the children that are represented by these parents here this morning. And we see from Scripture you love children. And Jesus welcomed them into his arms and onto his laps, and he, he prayed a blessing for them. He, he asked that, that you would uh, shepherd them, that, that you would draw them to yourself, that, that in these days of uncertainty when they're running around the yard and jumping uh, on trampolines and hanging from tree limbs, that you would protect them. We pray that you would uh, guide them through their lives as they make important decisions. We pray that you would help them as they choose the, uh, the, the boys and the girls that they're going to spend a lot of time with, the ones that are their friends. We pray that you would guard them against evil. We pray that they would grow up to love you with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And for these moms and dads that are represented here, God, we pray that you would give them wisdom. None of us, none of us are, are entrusted with these children uh, with, a, with a manual that says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. We have some basic principles in Scripture, but we're not told a lot of what to do. And as parents so often, it can feel like we're just in over our heads. And I pray that they would, those times of desperation would be times to remind them to run to you and ask you for help, and ask you for direction, and ask you to help them be a godly mom and dad to these little children. Pour out your blessing on them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks to all of you. Prayed for them. Now, just a couple of side notes before we dive into what... Jesus may have been meaning when he talked about childlike faith and receiving the kingdom. Uh, some people look at this text and say, oh, this is evidence 
that we should baptize babies. I don't think that's the case. I don't really see any evidence of that. Some people also look at this and say, oh, this is evidence that all children are saved. Now, I think that's the case. Uh, the, the Bible is pretty thin on evidence on that, but I think that's the case just based on the character of God. It's not that there's Bible against that. It's just not much that we can hang our hats on. But I don't think that's the point here. I, I, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that Jesus is trying to convey that there are some unique traits that mark people who welcome him and Jesus is, after all, the door to the kingdom. There are some childlike traits that should mark those of us who are going to welcome Jesus. And that's what I want to spend the rest of my uh, minutes on here today. The, the, uh, my statement on this point is that Jesus wants us to be like the children. So the question is, how? In what way does he want us to be? And first I want to make a, a disclaimer Jesus wants people to receive the kingdom like a child, but not childishly. He wants us to receive the kingdom like a child, but not childishly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, when I was a child, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. Now note those uh, three verbs. Speaking, thinking, reasoning. So Jesus is clearly not saying that we should think, reason, and, and speak like a child. Paul says, when I was a child, I did those things as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And again, in this next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, Paul's just completed an extensive discussion about the uh, priority of prophecy in the church versus speaking in tongues in the church. And he says in verse 20, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in your understanding of matters of this kind. So uh, whatever he is looking for there are certain things he is not looking for he's looking for a childlike faith that's not childish and I want to just give you two key points this morning that I think this certainly wouldn't exhaust um, what Jesus was talking about but I think can give us a start the first all the first one is that children understand free stuff children understand free stuff. Now, if, if I were to offer a child, so kid comes up to me after the service and he's looking for the, this lollipop and he's not going to bring me any money. He's not going to bring a charge card. He's not going to have a check. He's not going to have cash and offer it to me. Kids don't instinctively think about uh, paying for something that you're going to give them. Uh, when you give your kids uh, gifts at Christmas time, uh, my guess is that none of them are saying, Daddy, Mommy, how much do I owe you? Right? They're like, is this all I get? More stuff. Uh, it, I don't know if there's any Big, big Bang Theory uh, fans out here. Anybody else likes the Big Bang Theory? There's a couple of you like, I don't want to admit that. <laughs> Not everything's great on it, I understand. But Sheldon, the main character there, Sheldon is a... Uh, kind of on the autistic spectrum, maybe. He doesn't have some social cues that he ought to have. 
And if you've ever, this has come up in a number of, uh, uh, a number of shows where he has a problem with gift giving. Have you seen that? He doesn't like to give gifts and he doesn't like to get gifts. Uh, and the reason for that is he's obsessed with not being in anyone's debt. So uh, I saw one recently where Howard was getting married and Sheldon was a groomsman and he was given a gift by Howard that was worth $100. And instead of saying, thank you, Sheldon goes, oh, no, 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 no. This will never do. Because the wedding gift I got you, I spent $88 on. And that means I'm $12 in your debt and I can't be in your debt. And he pulls out his wallet and he shells out $12. You're never going to have one of your children do that, ever. Don't get your hopes up. Kids understand free stuff. In fact, they think everything's free. The roof over their heads is free. The electricity is free. The groceries are free. And by the way, parents, the sooner you disabase them of that idea, the better. The sooner you open up their books, your books, and you show them just what groceries cost, you show them what the mortgage costs, you show them what electricity costs, you will do, be doing them an immense favor because they cannot connect the whole idea with stuff that they have and enjoy with the money that it costs and how that money is earned. And so the younger you teach them that, the better off they're going to be. They will thank you one day. It won't be right away though. Kids understand free stuff. And the reason that that matters is because the gospel is free and we are instinctively driven to want to pay for it. That's what we talked about last Sunday, right? So down at the temple, you have this Pharisee praying and you have this tax collector praying. And the Pharisee is busy patting himself on the back about all in his prayer of all that he brings to the table. God, I'm glad that I don't commit adultery and I'm, I'm so thankful you made me a good man and I, I give you a tenth of my income, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, here's a tax collector who's got nothing. He's beating on his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he's the one who walked away justified, declared innocent, not the Pharisee. And he closed with this verse, if you remember it. He says, those who exalt themselves, this is verse uh, 14, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, if you try to bring something you're doing to the table and make that some sort of exchange for the gospel, you're always going to fall flat on your face and you're going to misunderstand the gospel and you can't even receive the gospel if you try to buy it. And Jesus says, if you do not receive the kingdom like a child, <laughs> you can't enter it. Children understand free stuff. Secondly, a child has unwavering trust. A child has unwavering trust. And let me make three points under this. The first one is that a child is unsophisticated. They've not yet been contaminated by uh, uh, ways that they want to impress people, uh, things that they think they, they have to do. Um, <clears throat> first of all, they're not confl conflicted by education. That's a chronic curse when it comes to the gospel. They're not conflicted by education. They have no degrees and say, well, you're telling me this, but when I was in biology class or when I was in English class in college or when I was in Bible class in college, I learned this. They're not conflicted by education. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, um, verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. So child's unsophisticated, meaning they're not conflicted by education. Secondly, they're not confused by experience. And here's what I mean. So I wonder how many of us as adults have seen God do something in the life of a friend of ours or a family member And then we were faced with the same kind of thing and God didn't handle it the same way. And we're so enslaved to um, um, mechanisms and formulas that we look at that and say, God, what were you thinking? You did this over here for my friend and you didn't do it for me? Some of you know what this is like. Some of you have experienced, for example, physical healing in your life. Some of you have faced cancer and you've been cured. Some of you have faced a broken marriage and it's been put back together. And yet you feel guilty talking about those kinds of things with other people that you know who haven't had those experiences, whose cancer hasn't been cured, whose marriage hasn't been put back together. And you say, yes, but you did this over here. What about me? And children, again, they're not, they don't have these mem- they're not wired for these memories. They don't bring it up. And so if you're, they're handled differently, I understand as they get older, that changes. But when they're small, you, they, you handle them differently than somebody else, and it's okay. Unsophisticated. They're not conflicted by education. They're not confused by experience. And the unanswered whys of their life do not threaten their faith. The unanswered whys of their life do not threaten faith. If I were to ask you here, how many of you have had times in your life when you have cried out to God, why? Every hand in the room would go up. In fact, most of us have had countless whys in our lives, maybe hundreds of whys in our life, maybe even more. And we're like, I'm not sure, God, if I can trust you because of what happened here or what failed to happen. Children are not threatened by whys that go unanswered in their lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when you know the story, when Paul had a thorn in the flesh, I think that means some sort of physical ailment. And he says, beginning in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, this is a guy who had the gift of healing. He healed other people. Uh, he, He healed his friends. And yet he can't heal himself. And God won't heal him. Each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. A child is unsophisticated in part because the unanswered whys of their life do not threaten faith. They don't stop trusting in mom and dad because they don't get their questions answered. And parents, ain't it true that our children have a lot of unanswered questions 
I mean, just by virtue of their mental inabilities. We try to explain to them why something happened, why something didn't happen. It's, it's off their radar. They can't comprehend it. They don't have the mental capacity to grasp it. And that should remind us that neither do we. Isaiah 55, I think it's 8 and 9, God says, my ways so much higher than your ways. My thoughts so far above your thoughts. We are like little children before God. And when we have the whys that go unanswered, it's not because God is defective. It's just because we're limited. So a child has unwavering trust in that they are unsophisticated. Secondly, they are unfazed by popular opinions. A child as of yet, at three years old, four years old, does, does not yet need peer approval. And that's a big deal for us today. Unless you're not following the way the winds are blowing in the Christian culture, especially in the United States, uh, there is a, a vast movement of people who say they believe this is true, who are jettisoning things, throwing out things that have been historically taught and believed by the church for 2,000 years. In my time with the Lord this morning, I was reading in the Psalms about God's judgment, and I'm thinking, wow, this is something that's being X'd out of more and more Christians' Bibles that God's not going to judge, that God is too loving to judge. And I'm concerned not just about that it's happening, but that more and more it's happening because people are listening to the popular claims of the day as opposed to listening to what God said. We have the same kind of thing happening regarding same-sex relationships. People who are insistent that they believe the Bible are saying, no, 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 this is, this is, God is not saying that only sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. No, no, a, a, a relationship between a man and a man and a woman and a woman can be a holy relationship. And I'm like, there's no way you can honestly get that from this book. Not honestly. And I think that part of what hap is happening that more and more people are, are listening to the popular move of the wind and saying, I, I, I got to be on board. I, I have to be seen as, uh, as hip, as cool, as cutting edge. A child is unfazed by popular opinions, thankfully. Third, a child in its unwavering trust is un, has an unswerving commitment to a parent. A child as of yet has not developed a lot of fears, has an unswerving commitment. This is one of the reasons that children can be taken out of the homes of abusive parents and they long to go back to them and they beg to go back to them. Why? They have not yet developed the fear they, they simply trust mom and dad. They think that maybe mom and dad will change. You know, if we get back with them, it'll, it'll, it, they have not yet developed the kinds of things that say, man, that's dangerous. Oh, that's scary. And so they might do hard things, might even do dangerous things. When I was uh, pulling a video for, uh, for the message, like I showed you at the beginning, I was seeing a variety of videos and I was, uh, that were 
filmed by parents, and I was amazed at the dangerous things that parents were, I guess, encouraging their kids to do so they could film them. And then the kids would do a face plant, and, and you could hear the parent behind the camera laughing. Most often dads. I don't know what that's about. I have, I have said since I was a young dad that there is a reason that God has the mothers bear the children because the fathers would probably kill them inadvertently. Uh, moms, you guys, you guys have this nurturing thing that we, we don't quite have. But a child is not afraid of what a mom or dad would ask them to do. They're, they're willing to try it. They're, they're not afraid of, of hard things. This is the same kind of thing that Christ calls us to in the gospel, that we're prepared to do what's hard, even to do what's dangerous. There are people who for 2,000 years have been going into dangerous places, to, to dangerous things, and they paid for it with their lives. Like a child. Part of this unswerving commitment, too, is that a child holds very lightly to money and to material possessions. They, I mean, we buy all kinds of wonderful things, don't we, for them at Christmas time. And inside of a week, they're moving on. It's just not that important anymore. And in the same way, we've, as we've looked through the book of Luke, we've seen Jesus again and again warning us about the love for money and for wealth and how dangerous that is, how treacherous it is. It is for our lives. I want to have the worship team come up at this point. And I'm going to read as we come to the end of this message from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Passage, I read a verse from it earlier. And I want to read the rest of that section. Where Paul talks about how the, the, the gospel is not something that would make sense normally to people. Uh, it, it, it's, it's counterintuitive. The things that it asks of us, the things that are true of it, it, it don't really make sense. And I want you to listen as we read these verses. And then when I'm done, I, I want us to just kind of spend a couple of minutes reflecting on whether or not our faith looks like this. Whether our faith looks like a, a childlike faith or, or have we kind of um, have an adult faith that's full of whys and we get upset when God doesn't answer our questions? We're angry at him because he hasn't done what he's done for someone else. Um, we wonder if he really cares about us, if he loves us. And as, as you reflect on that, those questions... I want you to, in your mind's eye, see the cross and see whether or not that brings you back to a childlike faith. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But 
to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Just bow your heads and give some thought to your faith today. Some of us need to seek your forgiveness. Confess that we've sat in judgment on you, what you have or haven't done. Maybe we've lost sense of trust in you. Maybe we've put more emphasis on what man thinks than on what you say. Maybe we were trying to buy salvation. We prayed a prayer years ago, but we still act as if we owe you something. And even our ministry, it's not done in free delight and thanksgiving. It's done with a sense that, well, I've got to do this. Father, liberate our hearts so that he might be childlike again. Help us to abandon the sophistication that says, I don't want to be made fun of, ridiculed, because I have such backward ideas, such as judgment, or same-sex relationships, or 20 other things. Pray, Father, that even if it's just me and you going it alone, out of step with the whole world, that I'd be okay with that. 
my delight, trust, and my hope found exclusively in you. My hope founded in Christ.